You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. Okay, let's get started. Good afternoon, good evening. I am Dane, and welcome back to the Spectral Skull Session. Today, we are talking about the nation from which this podcast is now based, the independent nation of Georgia, located north of Turkey and Armenia, to the east of the Black Sea, south of Russia, and west of Azerbaijan. This Caucasian nation, located in literally the Caucasus Mountains, a nation of about 4 million people, a former Soviet state, and an extremely unique country with an eclectic mix of spiritual traditions, folklore, cryptids, and deep history. The focus of today's episode is really just to survey 10 of the most notable mysteries that I've uncovered in Georgia. In calling these mysteries, I'm going to concede some of these things may just be things that I haven't figured out about Georgia. Some of them may be things that no one's figured out about Georgia, and others may be things that there are people here who can answer for me if only I can find the right people to talk to. And so another reason for making this episode, I'm hoping to use this episode as a way to communicate to people in Georgia Um, please contact our show. Please get in touch with me if you have any information pertinent to the Spectral Skull Sessions' interest in the supernatural, paranormal, and the occult. And just to clarify, we have a, I define the occult as hidden knowledge. So we are not just interested in magic or seances. We are interested in anything that is being kept secret. We're interested in lost civilizations, in historical enigmas, megaliths, mysterious structures. Now, one of the first mysteries that I want to talk about is, why do they call it Georgia? This is a mystery to me. So I assumed it was called Georgia because the patron saint of the country was St. George. Indeed, that is true. St. George was a Roman general who was martyred in the 4th century AD for his refusal to take part in the persecution of Christians. He is revered, especially by the Orthodox, and Orthodox Christians comprise 80% of the population of Georgia. However, I'm told that even though St. George is the patron saint of the country, that the country isn't named after St. George. It is actually named after the word Gurgia, which is... An old, an old Persian word that means wolf, because the Persians regarded Georgia as the land of the wolves. Indeed, they still have a good number of wolves and wild dogs living in the less occupied regions between the cities. And they have a special relationship to the entire canine family. Just down the block from where I live in the city of Batumi, there's a mural commemorating a particular princely dog who um, saved some children from being hit by a taxi. His name is Kabata, and they've depicted him as a crowned, as a sort of crowned, smiling dog by putting you know this mural of him up on one of the apartment buildings around, I guess it's his territory. I'm not sure if Kabata is still there. I've heard conflicting accounts of whether Kabata is still alive or whether he is now um, a spiritual being or maybe he never existed physically in the first place. Um, But, you know, they clearly have a special relationship to the entire canine family. 
Apparently that's where the name Georgia comes from. And so uh, a mystery for me is, are you kidding me that your patron saint is Georgia, but you're actually etymologically not deriving your name from St. George? And so I don't know what to think there. So I actually think that we should just classify the name of the country, its origins, as a bit of a mystery. At minimum, it's a very strange coincidence. Now let's move on. Mysteries, mysteries nine through five all have to do with non-traditional conceptions of the spiritual world. Let me start first by telling you that Georgia is divided into nine administrative regions, which correspond to distinct cultures. Some of these cultures have their own food, their own traditions, their own languages, and their own religion. The Kevshur and Shav regions, they used to be jointly known as Pikovi. These are both located in the east, sometimes called Kevsureti. So Georgia was Christianized in the 4th century, but the mountainous region of Kevsureti held out against Christianity, instead eventually developing their own idiosyncratic remix Orthodox religion with the pre-Christian traditions of this mountainous region. They still speak their own local dialect that is said to resemble literary Georgian of the medieval ages. They're also known for making their own chain mail. These people uh, live in literal fortress villages. If you're watching the show on YouTube, I'm going to include pictures of the fortress villages of Kevsereti. And for a long time, it was rumored that they were descendants of crusaders, that literal crusading knights had departed the Holy Land and come to Georgia and settled and formed a kind of crusader colony. Now let me tell you a little bit about their religion. Yes, they revere St. George, but they also have a shamanic tradition called the Kadagi. The idea of the Kadagi is that a person comes to be possessed by a minor deity they go into trances at important events, and they prophesize. They also have a female version. So the Kadagi can be male or female. They have a female shaman called a Meseltane who can visit the beyond in spirit. She can go um, project her spirit into the land of the dead, and she can commune with the beings there. According to the people of Kevsereti, there is a special kind of human called the Natsiliani, these are humans who have received magic gifts of divine signs from the gods. And the signs seem to be tattooed on your shoulder blades. And in order to retain your magical powers, you have to keep the signs secret. So if anyone sees them, then you lose your powers. There is so much more to say about the people of Kevsereti. And honestly, I know so little about it. So this is really an invitation. If you know anything about the region or you know anyone up there who's a Natsiliani or a Kadagi or a Meseltane, please contact the show. Now, mystery number eight pertains to the Ossetian people. This is another one of the many subgroups of Georgians. These people live in northern Georgia, uh, north of the city of Gori, sort of north-central Georgia. I'm worried that they might take offense to my calling them Georgian. 
because they straddle the border between Georgia and Russia. There's a South Ossieta, which is located in Georgia proper. There's a North Ossieta, which is firmly in Russian territory. Uh, but then there's a twist, which is that all of Ossetia is occupied by the Russian government. Um, the Russians invaded in 2008, and they seized Ossetia. Uh, they also seized another region in the West I'll get to in a second. Since the Russians took power over South Ossetia, there has been kind of revival of a religion called Ossianism. This is a um, religion that first started to be revived in the 1980s. It's uh, based around a group of texts called the Nart Sagas. These are sagas, some like epics, that were written for the North Caucasus people. So one symbol prominently associated with Neo-Scythianism is called the Three Tiers of God. It looks like the yin-yang, except instead of a yin and a yang, it's got three teardrop shapes that are all uh, adorned in the center with something that looks like a cross or a snowflake. So you've got three snowflakes inside of three tiers, all sort of merging together in a yin-yang-like way. It represents the triune nature of God. The Ossetians or Neo-Scythians believe that there is one God who is eternal and timeless and very impersonal, but that this God can unfold or manifest in a variety of ways, and they recognize a kind of triune manifestation. They also acknowledge seven deities, each associated with a planet and a natural force. And they believe in a struggle between good and evil, with uh, God on one side and demons on the other, and they believe that human beings have the free will to choose between aligning themselves with God or the demons. And so uh, I know very little about this religion. I haven't been able to find very much material on it. Complicating matters, the Ossetian region is entirely in the Russian-controlled sphere of influence. Um, I cannot go there. The U.S. State Department says don't go to Ossetia. And um, I've been told by Georgians that you cannot go there even if you want to. But somehow it seems that some Ossetians get out and they come to Georgia proper. And uh, I'm hoping to run into some of them and maybe talk to them about Neo-Scythianism. So what interests me about this religion, especially just to distinguish it from uh, Kefsirieti, the traditions up in Kefsirieti, it seems like up in Kefsirieti, it's sort of a medieval holdout tradition. They've sort of blended Christianity with some older ideas. But the Ossetians seem to be going back to before Christianity and trying to actively revive something that is pre-Christian. I find that fascinating. For number seven, we'll move further west into the Svaneti region. This is another mountainous, in fact, one of the most mountainous regions of Georgia. It's known for the um, glacial. It's a glacial region that until recently was inaccessible half of the year. It was completely snowed in, similar to Kefsirieti and Ossetia. The Svaneti region has preserved a mix of Orthodox Christianity and its old pagan traditions. The Svaneti region is known for 
revering the goddess Dolly. She is a, uh, how do I put this? She is like the mistress of animals. And if I understand this correctly, in some versions of her story, she was sort of a goddess. But now she is more of a mysterious feminine being. In other versions, she sort of degenerated into a demon. It seems that as Christianity took over, she became more of a negative figure. But uh, at least in some versions of the story, she manifests as a white-skinned, nude woman. Very beautiful. It is said that her skin is so white and beautiful that she literally glows in the dark. And if hunters perform certain rituals... She will aid them in the capture of animals in their hunting. Furthermore, she will take human lovers, male lovers. They say that if a man sees her, he goes through a whole process of becoming uh, sort of enthralled to her. So it sounds like if you see her and you're a man, you're a hunter, you become enchanted and then you become obsessed and a man who is obsessed with Dolly will leave his home and wander in the wilderness seeking a liaison with her. When he does have such a liaison, then she swears him to secrecy. He may enjoy a secret relationship with her, but he's not allowed to tell anybody, and he's not allowed to have relations with human women. If he does, the jealous Dolly will destroy him. And of course, I see a pattern linking the Dolly reverence to uh, the Natsiliani, right? So those are the people who receive a magic gift from the gods and have a tattoo on their shoulder blades and they have to keep it a secret. Here you have a person who's in a relationship with this magical woman and he has to keep it a secret. And um, oh, and she's also supposed to have a secret cave she lives in, in at Mount Ushuba. These sound like um, secret societies. Or perhaps at least some kind of cult of chivalry. This idea that there are probably many men who are, you know, secretly devoted to this beautiful, perfect woman who represents uh, the virtue of being an unstoppable hunter. Um, so there's something going on here. And, um, well, maybe this is a version of that, a kind of monasticism. I'd love to talk to somebody who's in the cult of Dolly, but I realize that you can't talk to us because you're sworn to secrecy. So we may have to settle for people who have simply encountered Dolly and somehow gotten away with their soul intact. Number six, Abkhazia, capital city, Sokhumi. This is another region that the Russians are occupying. By the way, I don't know if I explained this thoroughly. In 2008, the Russians invaded and uh, ostensibly, the reason for their invasion was to prevent Georgia from exiting the Russian sphere of influence. Georgia, being a post-Soviet state, was sympathetic to Western ideals and values. They had enjoyed a Rose Revolution in 2003 that had put an end to the remnants of the Soviet system. And so Russia invaded. Again, the story, the mainstream account, is that Russia's aim was to pre prevent Georgia from joining the European Union or joining NATO to disrupt them politically and prevent the sort of natural development of that country. But in doing so, Russia seems to have carved out 
these mystical little places that uh, Ossetia and Abkhazia. So Russia and Abkhazia both insist that Abkhazia is no longer part of Georgia, is its own country, and they operate as an independent state. And I've been told that the state religion there officially acknowledges the Abkhaz uh, traditional beliefs. They have seven recognized temples. They perform animal sacrifices, including sacrificing bulls and goats. One researcher has said that the traditional Abkhaz religion is, quote, almost a state religion of the country. The government officially condones a ceremony each year where they sacrifice a bull to thank the gods for helping them achieve independence from Georgia. I'm told that 8% of Abkhazians identify with this religion. And on a personal note, I can see Abkhazia from my apartment. Um, I'm pretty sure I can see it, if not from my apartment. If I walk about a kilometer to the beach, I can see I can see the, the greater Caucasus mountain range, and I can see it across the Black Sea. So I don't know what I'm looking at if I'm not looking at Abkhazia. But, you know, I can't get there. So um, it's got a, an incredible element of mystery for me just to be able to see this land but not be able to go there. I've been talking to some people in Abkhazia, and they were saying that if I write the government, I might be able to get permission to come on the basis that I'm doing a podcast. So we will see if that's really an option. Oh, one last thing about paganism, I guess this is number six, is that uh, the ancient Greeks were here, and they left their footprint. So it's widely acknowledged that the traditional Georgian gods— the, they have a sort of pantheon of gods that seem to have gone around all of Georgia, including Bochi, who is a kind of shepherd god who is said to have links to Pan, the Greek god Pan. There's also a character, Amarani, who's said to be the Georgian Prometheus. And the story of the Golden Fleece, which Jason and the Argonauts went in search of. Well, the Golden Fleece was located in Colchis, which is Georgia. And so um, it's an interesting story because Jason comes to Colchis, and it's a magical place, according to the story of Jason and the Argonauts. He encounters the king. He's asking for this fleece that will give him magical powers. The king doesn't want to give it to him, so he assigns him to uh, impossible tasks that involve the supernatural. And he's ultimately only able to carry out these tasks because he wins the love of Medea, a local witch. So she's a Georgian witch who, you know, uses magical charms to help Jason achieve his goal. And then so in terms of the neo-pagan Greek influence, at least on the city of Batumi where I am, you know, um, sort of downtown Batumi has a square called Europe Square. And what is in the center of Europe Square? The Golden Fleece, Medea. They have Medea and the Fleece. Down in the center of the square, they have another nearby square with a fountain to Poseidon. I've seen murals to Poseidon in another park, and they have this weird statue built more recently. It's a modernist piece of artwork. It's called Ali and Nino. They're these eight-meter-tall metal statues down on the harbor, and every evening at 7 p.m., they merge together. So the statues drift closer and closer and closer until they pass through each other. The metal is designed in such a way that they're um, 
interlocking metal mesh. And so they can actually pass through each other. I'm told that Ali and Nino are characters from a novel. This novel tells the story of a Muslim Azerbaijani boy who falls in love with a Christian Georgian princess and uh, the sort of a Romeo and Juliet story about doomed love. So I think this is another possible example of neo-pagan influence on Georgia because, yes, you know, this is supposed to be a 20th century secular story, a love story, but the word Ali, A-L-I, also refers in traditional um, Georgian folklore to a Lilith-like demon that haunts pregnant women. This is a um, supernatural being that is common to the Caucasus region, so not just the Georgians. Also, the Iranians, Central Asians, and Mongolians have a version of the Ali. Similar appearances with some distinctions. For example, um, it sounds like in the one version of the, of the story, it has a flat face like a human being, walks on two legs, and is covered with a thick black fur and armed with enormous claws. But in other versions, um, it can change its appearance, sometimes being monstrous, um, though sometimes appearing as beautiful in order to lure men to their doom. Multiple researchers have suggested that because of the pervasiveness of the Ali story, we should interpret it as uh, a kind of remnant memory of a hominid creature, some kind of human subspecies that might have dwelt in the region and predated or preyed on humans, consuming the young. Because in some versions of the story, it doesn't just eat, it doesn't just attack pregnant women, it also attacks children and the elderly. Like it's some kind of uh, predatorial monster that goes after weaker humans. So I think it's mysterious that this statue, the Ali and Nino statue, that one of the characters is named Ali, um, even though that's a 20th century story about a Muslim Azerbaijani boy, you know, mating with, uh, pursuing romantically a Christian princess. Kind of sounds like maybe there's a reason why that guy named him Ali why the author of the story named him Ali, and in order to sneak in some neo-paganism there. And the statue is weird. It's a super weird thing to see um, these two metal statues slowly merge together. You see people on the harbor looking at the statues, being like, are they moving? Are they moving? And then people take photos, and people are like, what? what's going on? And yeah, they are moving. They slowly drift together and pass through each other. And let me just say quickly, there's no dispute that there's ancient Greek pagan influence on Georgian history. So the ancient Greeks were here back in 1200 BC. They set up cities in the state of Colchis. Brian Marescu, who wrote the book The Immortality Key, which is a book about lost psychedelic religion, I found a little note in his book in which he says that it's possible that the ancient Greeks here in Georgia had their own version of the Eleusinian Mysteries involving a nightshade plant, that perhaps they were doing nightshade as a psychedelic in order to have trippy spiritual experiences. And speaking of cryptids, let's talk briefly about the giants. Giants are all over Georgian folklore. They're often called the Devi. They have multiple heads. They are usually depicted as enemies of mankind, but they're stupid and easily fooled. They're usually defeated through trickery. Adding some credence to the idea of giants, I've learned that there was a Georgian water polo player 
back in the 50s and 60s, who was, he was 1.95 meters. So he's an enormous man, making me wonder if perhaps there are some giant genes still floating around in the Georgian gene pool. Excuse the alliteration. But then I've heard other people say that all the ancient Georgians were extremely tall. I've heard, um, this is just a folk thing I've heard from people on the streets. They're like, oh yeah, like ancient Georgians were really tall. I also found one source where uh, a group of Westerners came in and said they had found giant bones in the city of, in the mountain town of Borjomi back in 2014. They dug these bones up and brought them to a professor in Tbilisi. He said, these bones, if they're human bones, would belong to people who were 2.5 to 3 meters tall. That's 8 foot. And then he mysteriously died. And the giants aren't the only cryptids. Giants and Ali. We also have the Kaj. Kaj appear to be some kind of gnome-like creature. Later in history, they get depicted as wizards who also wage war against mankind. So we seem to have horrible predatory demons, we have giants, and we have little people. This is going to lead me to the last mystery of Georgia, the last two mysteries of Georgia. Um, is it possible that Georgia played host to relicts? A relict, a relict is a population that survives long after the vast majority of its species has died off. And the reason why I think Georgia could have hosted relics, maybe it still does, is because Georgia is known to have relict flora. So there are a number of plants here that they say have gone extinct everywhere else, used to flourish during the Ice Age. I also know they're saying that humans were here 200,000 years ago, even though humans were really nowhere else outside of Africa 200,000 years ago. They say that the first humans in Europe were found in Georgia. They call them Homo erectus georgicus, they were found in Dimenisi, which is a city in the southeast. I've been to Dimenisi, and there's another mystery there. So I go to Dimenisi to see these uh, first humans. When I get there, I say, are you kidding me? They're like five foot tall. They have sloped foreheads, these giant, ridiculous nutcracker jaws. I'm like, these things aren't human. They're Homo erectus, Georgica. They're Homo erectus. They're not human. They're some kind of pre-human hominid. But they found these hominids when they were excavating a medieval city. And nobody talks about this, but this is what I thought was... I was like, this is really weird. So the story is you were digging in a medieval bone pit in Dimanisi. You were digging up these bones. You'd found like, oh, like there was a medieval city here. And they were burying people in a pit. And you were expecting to find more medieval people in this pit. Then you get to the bottom of the pit and you find 1.8 million year old hominids. And for some reason, people don't put these two things together. But I was thinking there are a lot of very weird possibilities here. First of all, it's possible that this burial pit has been used for 2 million years. That seems pretty unlikely. But it's also possible that the pit isn't really 2 million years old. Maybe medieval people started reburying these ancient bones. What were they doing with the bones? Why were they digging them up and then burying these bones in their own, what would later become their own burial pit? It leads to a further question. Is it possible that actually they had enslaved hominid people? Maybe they aren't 1.8 million years old. Maybe they were alive during the medieval era 
They were relict creatures that had been captured by some medieval fortress kingdom. And then they kept them in a pit and buried them alive. Later threw their own dead in the pit. Maybe it was a pit for the cursed dead, the evil dead. Um, I just find it weird that nobody has any attempt to explain why it is that they found two million year old bones in the same pit that they were finding a couple hundred year old bones. Like, there's, it's a total different order of magnitude in terms of the time, time scales there. So you, I need some explanation for how you found, you found prehistoric, pre-human creatures at the bottom of a burial pit for medieval people. And this leads to the last mystery of Georgia that I'm prepared to talk about. Again, this mystery is my mystery alone. I don't know that it's going to go anywhere, but let me just put out for the audience. I have been having the thought that the Georgian people might be descended from the Atlanteans. Before you laugh, hear me out. Here are my lines of evidence. First of all, I've learned that Herodotus, the Greek historian, insisted that the Georgians were somehow descended from the Egyptians. Let me just read to you what Herodotus says. It is plain to see the Colchians are Egyptians. And what I say I myself noted before I heard it from others. When it occurred to me, I inquired of both peoples, and the Colchians remembered the Egyptians better than the Egyptians remembered the Colchians. The Egyptians said they considered the Colchians part of Sesostris's army. I myself guessed it, partly because they are dark-skinned and woolly-haired, though that indeed counts for nothing, since other peoples are too. But my better proof was that the Colchians and Egyptians and Ethiopians are the only nations that have from the first practiced circumcision. So he says that the Colchians are descended from some Egyptian army that went astray and ended up in Georgia. And um, then he says, well, they look like Egyptians, but that's kind of racist, so let me move on. And here's my last argument. They practice circumcision, and so do the Egyptians. So ha, they're Egyptians. So I don't know, this might be weak evidence. It's just one line of argument um, that uh, there's some connection between the Georgians and the Egyptians. So how does that get us to Atlantis? Well... Graham Hancock and other alternative Egyptian scholars have argued that, that Egypt was a kind of colony of Atlantis. So after Atlantis sinks into the ocean, they think that um, uh, some survivors migrate to Egypt. So it could be that some survivors migrate to Egypt and then there was a second migration out to Georgia. Okay, I have two more lines of argument that we should take seriously the possibility that Georgia could be a, a, have been a colony of Atlantis or at least a place where Atlantean refugees settled. And that is, there are a number of megalith, megalithic monuments here. For example, there's the Fortress of a Bully, which is down in southern Georgia. And it's an enormous cyclopedian fortress of some kind, and nobody knows anything about it. I read that nobody's done any archaeological excavations. It's so old, they have no idea how old it is. They have no idea... Who built it they assume it's a bronze age construct but um it seems to have according to one source some kind of uh celestial timekeeping function because of its orientation i couldn't find anything more about that it sounds like it potentially could be like old as stonehenge or older than stonehenge a kind of ancient monument and then when you throw in that georgia was hospitable to human beings back during the Ice Age, you start to wonder, when exactly did people 
start building their civilization here? And how many influxes of refugees might have made it out here? So there's a constraint on all this, to my mind, which is that the Black Sea was a lake until, they don't know, they're thinking that the Black Sea was a lake until about 7,000 years ago. 7,000 years ago, they think the Black Sea, because of glacial melting, the Black Lake finally broke through to the Aegean through the Strait of Marmara that goes through Turkey. It cuts right through the middle of Istanbul, right? The Strait of Marmara. And um, there's also, it also leads to the Strait, or the Sea of Marmara, also connects to a strait called the Dardanelles. In order to get from the Black Sea to the Aegean, you have to go through the Sea of Marmara and you have to go through the Dardanelles Strait. The Dardanelles Strait used to be known as the Hellspont. Hellspont goes back to this Greek woman. She's from Greek mythology called Helles, H-E-L-L-E-S. She was one of two siblings who had to flee their homeland because of an evil stepmother. And their, um, their true god, they were demigods. They were the children of a, a god. And a god uh, their mom was a god and a nymph. And their dad was a mortal. So they're demigods. Their evil stepmother wanted to get rid of them. So they prayed, and their nymph mother sent them a holy ram. They got on this ram, and by many accounts, they flew. By other accounts, the ram swam them to Colchis. Colchis is Georgia. So the ram swims, and then Helles, she doesn't make it. She falls off because of turbulent water, and she drowns. She drowns, and they name the place where she drowned the Hellspawn which is now the Strait of Dardanelles. Well, here's what's going on there. That's exactly where the water would have been flowing as the Black Lake transitioned to being the Black Sea. As that thing over flooded, it would have led a, a, a chute or a channel of water. A channel, a channel of water. A chute of water would have connected it. And I assume that would have been cold, um, very cold, very turbulent water. A dangerous place. And so I was thinking that the story of how the uh, Holy Ram brought these Greek demigods to Georgia. By the way, this is the ram that then becomes the Golden Fleece. They kill the ram when they land. And they, um, well, uh, Helles doesn't kill it. Her brother does. Her brother, his name's like Phrixus. Her brother Phrixus sacrifices the ram and turns it into the Golden Fleece. And I thought, this is an allegorical story about people bringing people of noble quality Noble blood, right, descended from the gods. And recall from my earlier episodes about Atlantis, the Atlantean people were supposed to be descended from the gods. They were descended from Poseidon, who married a human woman. Um, so these are people descended from the gods, and they bring some kind of magical artifact. What could that artifact be? I found that numerous scholars have tried to explain this allegorically. They've said it could be that the Golden Fleece is supposed to represent an alchemical book. Uh, it could represent some kind of technology. It could represent um, winemaking being brought to Georgia from Greece. There's some dispute about whether winemaking first comes to Georgia or Georgia brings winemaking to Greece. But the bottom line is, if the Atlanteans came to Georgia, they're supposed to be an advanced civilization in some ways at least. Maybe, they, you know, maybe this is an allegorical retelling of their pilgrimage, their, their, their flight away from a doomed place to the oasis of Georgia. And so I am going to 
end the episode here and just say, look, I know this is a rough episode. I am currently in a state of being overwhelmed by all the different research lines available to me. I have four distinct living spiritual communities I want to investigate. I have at least three different cryptids to investigate. I have these megaliths, possibility of uh, cult influence on my city of Batumi. Um, there is so much going on before you even get to my Atlantean theory. I'm just frankly having trouble digesting all the information. I'm having trouble moving forward. I chase leads. I try to find people up in the mountains, but it's hard because I don't speak Georgian. Plus, the people in the mountains have their own languages. Not all of them speak Georgian. Many of them have their own mountain language. So I, I have a translator who's going to take me up to the mountains this weekend. And um, she says things like, I, I sure hope I'm able to communicate with this guy we're supposed to talk to. So um, this, is a, this is a major project. I'm close to being in over my head, but I hope that I'm not quite. I hope that if I just keep treading water, eventually I'm going to start to wrap my head around this place. But I feel like I'm in the thick of it, that I couldn't be in a more magical place. I'm extremely lucky to be here. Um, I'm very happy with what I'm doing, and I'm very hopeful that this show will continue to get much better as we bring you material that I don't think anyone else in the English-speaking world is even trying to access. Nobody else is trying to get into Svanity. Nobody else is trying to figure out, um, are the Georgians connected to Atlantis? I don't know anyone else doing this but me. And um, so I'm bringing you original content. And if you like what I'm doing and you want me to continue to do it, please check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast. You know, like us. Tell your friends. Tell everybody you know about this spectral skull session. And if you're a Georgian and you know anything, if you've seen something, say something. Please get in contact with us. I'm putting our email in the show notes. Thank you, everybody. Until next time, stay strange and stay sane.